The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Yeah, man. <laughs> Jeremy Ivy, in the heart of America. Sing it. What's a buffalo clover? Dreadlock Rasta. No, she's not a dreadlock Rasta. I could see her having dreadlocks. I can't. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. <laughs> I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. This is our completely unrehearsed Jack White podcast where we talk about Jack White music and history and movies and associates. And in this case, a Jackolite, James. Another mm. a back-to-back Jackolite festival. <laughs> and a Jackolite, James, is uh, what we call an associate of the Jack. Uh, somebody mm. who is a... Uh, a follower and satellite in his orbit. Right. And this week, James, we've got another female country singer. Last week we needed Lily Mae Rishi. This week we've got someone very special, James. I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about it as well. I think we both really greatly enjoy this singer. Paul, today we are talking about... Margot Price. Ah, Miss Margot Price. She's lovely. She first popped up on our radar when her album Midwest Farmer's Daughter came out on Third Man Records last year. And uh, since then, it's been a pleasure getting to know her more and getting to know her music more. And we're going to do a deep dive on her here this episode. Getting to know her, getting to know her music, Margot. (laughs) Listening to Buffalo Clover. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get to all that, James. Is there something we should be smelling? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. James, would you like to tell the people what I think I smell a fact is? Boy, Paul, would I. I think I smell a fact is the segment of the show where we find some information that either you sent in or we find ourselves on a previous topic. I'm not sure why I was doing that little sing-song thing, <laughs> thing there. It, it was really bad. And in fact, so it, was it was probably really hard to listen to. But it's when we find some information about... A topic that we've previously gone over, and we don't want to do a whole new podcast for just this one fact, although I guess we could. <laughs> we take this information and we we just package it up into a little segment to give you a little fact that you can smell for yourself. Yeah, just smell it for yourself. And this, I think I smell a fact, comes courtesy of Callie Durga. Thank you, Callie. This is in response to our Icky Thump Part 2 episode uh, episode 29. James, you want to spout this f- sweet, sweet fact? I sure would. In the episode, we put a quote from Jack saying that he was presented with a bootleg copy of a concert in Cleveland from Ben Blackwell that had the riff and bare bones of the song Little Cream Soda. Some of the vamping of Little Cream Soda. Right. And they decided to actually take this little concert snippet and turn it into an actual song. So it was, it, in reality, it was just a little jam that he did on stage. And uh, for Icky Thump, they decided to take this and expand it into its own thing. Yes. So Callie had stated that the early version was on a live Stripes LP from one of the vault packages. She said it's possibly the Aragon show from Nine Miles from the White City. It is, in fact, on Nine Miles from the White City. Ah. Well, we couldn't find a little snippet of it, but you get the idea. So, yeah, it was put on this album. It was recorded July 2nd, 2003 at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. Although Jack stated it was from Cleveland, which makes me wonder if there's actually two versions of this out there or not. Hmm. He probably, he possibly just got Chicago and, and Cleveland mixed up in the quote. But yeah, it was released in 2013 as a part of Vault Number 16 on the LP there. Pretty cool stuff. Even if it isn't the first time this track appears, it's one of the very first times as the actual track appears in 2007 on the album. And this was recorded in 2003 and is listed on the track listing. Wow. Pretty cool stuff. That is pretty cool stuff. Thank you, Callie, for sending those in and for always sending those in. We always appreciate them. And reflect on that fact. And now we're going to get into this episode, James. Margo, price, 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 price. <laughs> I just found so much stuff about Margo. So we're going to get into, we're going to go a little bit of her history and how she wound up in the Jack Orbit. So Margo Price was born on April 15th, 1983 in Buffalo Prairie, Illinois. And Buffalo grew up in the... Prairie. <laughs> and grew up in the small town of Alito, Illinois. This was right outside the Quad Cities in the northwestern part of the state. Her family farmed corn, soybeans, and cattle. And her dad was forced to sell the family farm when Margo Price was only two years old. 
this will become relevant in the future, methinks. Yes, it will. Yeah. So that should be a surprise to no one who has heard her album Midwest Farmer's Daughter because she sings about her life very explicitly on that record. And I think she actually has a line that says that. Times they were tough Growing up at home My daddy lost the farm When I was two years old Took a job at the prison To quote Margot here, it took the wind out of the whole family, she says. We were surrounded by cornfields and cattle after that, and it was really hard for them. This is via the Independent. Her father lost the farm due to drought and a harsh banking environment. Quote, It was like the Depression in the early 1980s, and it went from 3 million American farms to 1 million in such a really short amount of time. Wowzers. Yeah, we all know kind of about this. It gave rise to things like Farm Aid, and Bruce Springsteen famously sang about a lot of this stuff, and old Johnny Coogs also mentioned it as well, but... It's almost a trope of that time period. But yeah, it was a very real problem, and it put a lot of families out of work as the move to the current mass-produced food system we know today was taking place and shifting away from those family farms. That is wild. That is the story of a Jimmy Stewart movie. <laughs> right. I know. The Grapes uh, it's, of Wrath or something. Yeah, it's it's crushing. But the family was a musical household, and it seemed like they used music a lot to keep their spirits up. Via the LA Times, Margot's mother favored top 40 AM radio, they point out, while her father leaned more into classic rock. Then, of course, there was the vintage country she soaked up in visits with her grandparents. Music entered the fray for her when she was very young. She played piano and sang in the church choir. So that's another Jack connection. Jack mm. also very active in the church. And so this is via the Village Voice. Our house was on a gravel road and wasn't even walking distance to the nearest grocery store. We would have to go into town to do any errands. It was there in Alito that she found her voice. She started by singing Christmas carols at her grandmother's house. Vocal and piano lessons in the, quote, city, end quote, followed. As did the opportunity to sing the national anthem at the Quad Cities premier semi-pro hockey games. So little bitty itty Margot was uh, out there and uh, singing the national anthem, I assume, in the late 80s. She's uh, she's two years older than I, so she, she must have been quite a little thing. Knee-high to a frog, one might say. I No one would say that. I don't know what that means. And all the frogs were swimming and dancing and singing. Oh, it was a wonderful show, Mum. Oh, and God. you'll never believe it. She studied dance at Northern Illinois University. Oh, no ill. <laughs> the first of its kind. You might call it the first Noel. Oh, <laughs> So she dropped out in 2003 at the age of 20. This is via the Village Voice. After a couple of years of college at Northern Illinois University, Price needed a change. Price change. It's price check, but close. She had been writing and performing her own music and knew she needed to make a move from Northern Illinois University's DeKalb campus. I don't know what that means. In 2003, she moved in with a cousin in Nashville. Mm. So she moves down to Nashville. 2003, this predates Jack there. Jack's still in Detroit, but he is becoming quickly a worldwide sensation. This is when his stardom really explodes in this year, particularly this year. He's working on Cold Mountain, and there's a lot going on for Jack and his newfound stardom at this point in time. Well, him and Margot have one thing in common, is they're both touching Nashville for the first time in 2003. 
There you well, go. technically Jack was 2002, but... Yeah. But around that time. Around yeah, that time. exactly. She was inspired by her great-uncle Bobby Fischer, who wrote... Hey. Hit, who Not the chess player. Who <laughs> wrote hits for Georgia Jones, Conway Twitty, and Reba McIntyre. Jaws Windy Game. I found a spotlight on him on AmericanSongwriter.com. It was really cool. So around 1970, when he was in his mid-30s, Bobby Fischer did something most people would consider insane or suicidal or both. He quit his prized long-tenured day job with a major farm implement company near his home in Iowa, Illinois' Quad City and moved to Nashville to try the music business. So basically, Margot is emulating exactly what her great-uncle did. While his supportive wife and kids stayed behind until he could make something happen, Fisher wrote songs, recorded, worked as a record promoter to radio, and did whatever else he could to make a buck, playing in honky-tonks along the road between Nashville and Iowa to pay for gas to go home and visit his family. Within a couple of years, the gamble paid off, with Fisher's face appearing in Billboard as a successful Nashville record producer. Wife Helen and the kids, Robbie and Lori, who ended up making a living in the arts themselves, moved to Nashville, and Fisher became a fixture on Music Row. As a writer, he began began to get cuts with names like Conway Twitty, George Jones, Eddie Arnold, Farron Young, Charlie Pride, and others recording his material. He also produced, promoted, and did whatever else necessary to keep food on the table, even working on a project with actor John Wayne. Well, this is my John Wayne impression. What? Yep. What? What? <laughs> Pilgrim? Pilgrim? My, I'm Boy. Winnie the Pooh. Boy, this is my Boy. John Wayne impression. I uh, can't wait for this impression to be over, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> well, Pilgrim. Boy, howdy. You're, you're in luck. You sure are a bad <laughs> impression. The folks at home can't see. There were a lot of elbow movements that went along with that. Sorry, yeah. James, what? It seems like this guy shares the same work ethic as Mr. Leonard Nimoy after watching that Leonard Nimoy documentary. Yes, I would agree. Uh, doing yeah. whatever it takes to put food on the table and break out into the biz. Which we will find Margot emulating even more as we get later in here. The article continued to say that relative success that most people would kill for lasted for the better part of 20 years until Fisher, with co-writers Charlie Black and Austin Roberts, finally got a, quote, career record with Reba McIntyre's recording of... Of you lie, which spent five months on the country charts. Let's listen to a little bit of you lie from Reba, Reba McIntyre. Sure. So I say I need you and leave you no choice. You kind of thing Margot's looking to emulate. Her influences, uh, she makes pretty clear. This, she told Rolling Stone, 
Price makes it clear that she also points to Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings as her biggest heroes. Quote, A lot of times people say, You're so much like Loretta, or Tammy Wynette, says Price, but I feel kind of like one of the men. I'm like David Allen Coe. <laughs> it's better than David Allen Greer. <laughs> Even David Allen Greer doesn't want to be like David Allen Greer. I'm like David Allen Coe. I've been to prison, man. I think that's what separated me from the Casey Musgraves, stuff like that. There's not a lot of glitter and girly bows and stuff. So, Margo's in Nashville. She has described her new home as a, quote, tough place to be discovered. One of the first things she did when she went there after moving in with her cousin was to touch base with old Uncle Bobby. See what Bobby's up to. Um, Uh, I just love seeing her knock on his door and, like, every day, like, giving him his paper that's on his front door and just, like, knocking, like, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you're just, I think you're describing the Walter Matthau, Dennis the Menace movie, James. <laughs> uh, hey, yes. Mr. Fisher! <laughs> that's all Pretty I got good. on Dennis the Menace. That's all I got. I don't remember uh, any anymore. Uh, so, meeting Uncle Bobby, this is via the LA Times. This is Margot said, quote, he was in his 70s or maybe at least his 60s when we moved to Nashville. I went over one time and played him a song that I was so proud of, she recalled. And he went, huh? Basically, quote, he just sat there quiet after I finished. Then he looked at me right in the eyes and said, here's what you gotta do. Go home, get rid of your TV, get rid of your computer, Turn the radio off and write. Wow. (laughs) She continues, that was his way of saying, you're not there yet, but keep trying. She said, it really hurt my feelings at first because so many people nowadays are afraid to be honest, but that was great. It really lit a fire under my ass, and I thought, I do have to get better. So it sounds like it wasn't completely mean-spirited, and she actually kind of used it. Well, it could have been completely mean-spirited. She just used it. (laughs) One way or the other, she used it to her advantage, which is good, but uh, it sure sounds like this is just a mean old man. It it does sound an awful lot like that. (laughs) Following Uncle Bobby's track here, to make ends meet, she had to work a lot of varied jobs here, James. This is kind of like, there's not really a rag and bone in this episode, but if there was going to be one, it would be this one. So, uh, you know, it's a rag and bone. It's a rag and bone. Rag and bone. bone. Would you like to briefly tell the people what a rag and bone is? Sure, it's when we find something weird and we put it in the episode. There you go. Yeah, that's that's, brief that's the gist. Summary. That's that's the gist. I'm just gonna go through some of the odd jobs that Margot Price did around Nashville, Tennessee. Please do, Paul. She sold suits at a mall. Great. You can see that, right? I could see yeah, her like yeah, yeah. selling Sears. suits. Yeah. Yeah. She's got that, like, million-dollar smile, and I could just see her talking some old sad sack, uh, some sort of weird golf attire or some you know? I put a hurtin' on a thimble. <laughs> and now I'm working for Express for Men. <laughs> she waited tables at... Please be Applebee's. Oh, just (laughs) even better. Okay. Very good. Yep. Which, again, I could see. She kind of has the vibe of Jennifer Aniston in office space a little bit. Right. How are those uh, jalapeno poppers treating y'all? 
<laughs> uh, this one is great. She tended bar at a place called Flying Saucers, where she was made to wear skimpy Catholic schoolgirl outfits, which she would later describe as, quote, a little demeaning. Oh, yeah, no. Well, they're a little more than a little. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but uh, tending bar, not unheard of for. Not unheard of. Uh, yeah, because Meg, as we will know, also tended bar. Kind of. Uh, this, is, this is another cool one. She worked in construction, installing and removing residential siding. She has a lot in common with that villain from that episode of Pete and Pete that Marty yes. already turned into an aluminum yeah. siding salesman. She played, uh, this one's cool, she played Gretel in local children's theater, which I assume is of Hansel and Gretel fame, but the article didn't specify. No, this so is maybe a, it was just Gretel's story. Yeah, this is a new take on Gretel. She's a strong, independent woman who doesn't need Hansel. Yeah, um, and then uh, she taught uh, she taught dance and uh, dancing to kids at the YMCA using some some of the skills she picked up uh, from uh, her brief tenure in college. So it would be great if she just didn't know how to tap dance and she just <laughs> still taught it. James, and that's been this week's racquetball. And that's been a racquetball. Uh, so, you don't want James, from there, Margot met somebody very special. She met husband-to-be Jeremy Ivey, who was a country singer with whom she would move in with at a place in East Nashville, and those two would start a band. Ah, and I wonder what that band will be called. Via Rolling Stone, quote, I had a hard time meeting people that would help me out that were genuine. There were so many traps. Via the Village Voice, her first week in Nashville, she got into a nasty car wreck and ended up holed up in her room. Quote, not talking to anyone and just listening to Bob Dylan. Quote, she says, I really started to question whether moving was the right idea. Eventually... Price started playing open mics around Nashville and hanging out with local Belmont students, getting a, quote, real music education. In that social circle, she met her husband, Jeremy Ivey, and they started... Buffalo Clover! <laughs> They're not a reggae James. band. <laughs> I know. Uh, James, let's talk a little bit about Buffalo Clover. Buffalo. Buff, 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 buff. So Buffalo Clover was supposed to be kind of a local supergroup. The band was called Buffalo Clover. I'm not sure why. They don't really specify, although she was born in Buffalo, Illinois. So maybe something to do with that. Maybe she just cuts like a buffalo. Like a buffalo. Uh, buffalo Clover, also cool. I, I, I think it's a flower. I, whenever I look them up, that's really... I, I mostly find vegetation. <laughs> They would put out three albums in total and an EP over their tenure as a group. The lineup included Jeremy Ivey, or as Kate pointed out to us, Jivey, as he's known, mm. on guitar. Uh, in late 2008, they met bassist Matt Gardner, whose guitar chops were so good, he switched instruments, and they added then bassist Jason White. No relation. Uh, drummer Dylan Napier joined in late 2010, and the final ingredient was keyboardist Amaya Aguirre, who came from Spain to Nashville and eventually married bassist Jason White. Uh, so that was the other 
couple uh, Kate mentions later on in the third woman segment for this very episode, and I forgot that the listeners haven't heard that yet because time is a flat circle. Other members of this group, or at least people who popped in and out over the years? Okay. Sturgill Simpson. Oh, hey. I know that name. And Kenny Vaughn, who's the guitarist for somebody named Marty Stewart's band. She was making a lot of friends around this time, and people who would also come up and become very famous names later. There's a really big famous one she becomes friends with, who actually is one of the keys to her getting her solo album made, which we will touch on in a moment. Let's just talk about the releases Buffalo Cover did. So in 2009, they put out an EP called Strong Medicine under no label, and it featured seven tracks, Fool's Gold, Midnight Circus, 15 Reasons, The Midwest, 20 Tons of Blues, Over the Winter, and The Well Wisher. No, Still under no label, they released the full album Pick Your Poison into the U.S. and Canada markets, and it featured several songs from the EP as well. It's got ten songs, the first being Luck, the second, Good Man, three, Me and Clyde, four, 20 Tons of Blues, five, Midnight Circus. Hey, hey, James, James. Yeah. 420. (laughs) (laughs) Place it. The next album, evidently they found a record label by 2011 because their next album, Low Down Time, was released on Palavera Records in 2011, and that was recorded at the Bomb Shelter in Nashville, Tennessee. This one only had a vinyl and a CD release. This is one I am familiar with. I love this album. Let's hear a couple choice tracks from this one. choice track yeah buffalo clover is is a heavy country slash rock and roll group you can hear the rock and roll in there but with the country periphery yeah Um, 
I would say it's closer to a classic Rocky sound than to a country sound, although there's hints of both. It's got that Almond Brothers country where it's on the verge of being rock and on the verge of being country. Yeah, I, I would say that. that. That's a fair assessment. The album opens strong. Can't Stand Still is a great track, but really, this whole album is really good. I can't emphasize enough. Guys, go out and listen to Buffalo Clover. Apparently, all of their albums are on Bandcamp. Uh, but if not, you can buy them on Amazon. And, and actually, actually, this album, Lowdown Time, I was on the Buffalo Clover website, which hasn't been updated since 20, I want to say, 11. Okay. And you can still go on there and buy shit. And there's a vinyl release of Buffalo Clover that had 25, now 24 copies of it still available for sale that I successfully purchased via the Buffalo Clover website. And I would point out that those vinyl copies of that Buffalo Clover album typically go for about 60 to 70 bucks on eBay because apparently nobody realizes you could just go to their old website and buy the album still. So if you want to spend $25 and get a sweet f***ing Buffalo Clover LP, go to their old website and buy it right now. I do want that. Their next album I think is even stronger. It's 2013's release, Test Your Love. is interesting in terms of who it was released by because the LP has no official label release attached to it but the CD was released on something called Angry Badger Records in the UK there's a lot of cool info I found on this one it was recorded again at the bomb shelter in Nashville Tennessee it was arranged by Buffalo Clover with art by somebody named Rachel Briggs on backing vocals we have April Rucker Jim Skinner Kevin Black, Mark Fredson, Samantha Cutler, Shauna Chatfield, and James, the big reveal of Margot's very famous friend. Do you want to hazard a guess as to who sings backing vocals on this Buffalo Clover album? It's Jack White, isn't it? Damn it, James. Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes. Oh, hey. Apparently, they're really good friends, and she sings on this Buffalo Clover album. Yeah, that's awesome. I did not know that. Uh, yes. The Alabama Shakes would soon be recording a Blue Series single with Jack White. Yes, and then take off and become this big thing. But yeah, so there's a lot of people who are contributing to this album. I, I, I know I already I know I already said it, but I can't recommend Buffalo Clover. And actually, I can't recommend this album enough specifically, Test Your Love. It's a really good record. Truthfulness is just to me, it stands up there with uh, her, Margot's singing stands up there with the spirit of Aretha Franklin.
it's just it really translates well hey child is a really nice sort of bluesy number just every every track on this album i could listen to this album for days and never get bored of it i love it i think it's fantastic this is uh, via the band's website, a little bit of background on them. Ever since their formation nearly a decade ago, Buffalo Clover has attracted a variety of talent. Price has worked on three different projects with Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes, including Buffalo Clover's own latest endeavor, Test Your Love, which features Howard. Pianist Mika Holscher, who plays with rockabilly queen Wanda Jackson, among hey, others, nice. recorded on Buffalo Clover's last two records. There's another Jack connection. And sometimes joins the band for live performances. They've also shared the stage with the Flaming Lips, hey. Grace Potter, and the Nocturnals, the Wild Feathers, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, and legendary sax player Bobby Keys, proving their Southern Soul style can match up with anyone. Now, Bobby Keys, James, for us, should hold a special significance. And do you know why that is? Um, the name is very familiar. Well, James. Oh, oh. Paul's got a secret. <laughs> I do. I have a secret. Bobby Keys is the first proof in our insane theory. Oh, was he on a Ringo album? That Margot Price's sound emulates in some fashion Ringo Starr's solo material from the 1970s. Very specific Ringo period. Bobby Keys played work on All Things Must Pass, the George Harrison album that featured Ringo. And he also was a heavy participant from the years 1973 to 1975 on the, quote, Lost Weekend, palling around with Ringo Starr, Harry Nilsson, and Keith Moon in Los Angeles particularly while they were recording Lennon's album Walls and Bridges, but the Ringo album came out in 1973. This is great news, Paul. I'm very excited about this. For those of you out there, we'll go into it a little bit more in a little bit, but we have a very weird theory that that Ringo and Margo are somehow connected. Their sounds are so similar in Buffalo Clover and Ringo's very specific 70s era that me and Paul both noticed independently of one another. We did, and it's it's hard not to when you know Ringo's material really stupid well, and we do. And we do. It's got that oh my my feeling. I mean, it's it really... It does. You oh, Listen, I assure you, to learn more, listen to our third woman segment later in this show, because we will go into it in much more detail. But the band's website continues, In the simplest terms, Buffalo Clover are vintage rock and rollers, but the South tends to creep in. This brand of Southern soul bears a striking resemblance to their idols, the Rolling Stones and the band, taking a cue from Bob Dylan with a lyrical poeticism inspired by the troubled times, and Janis Joplin with her rough-hewn but honest bottom-of-the-heart soulful lit. Buffalo Clover emulate their musical paragons in a style of their own. Never playing the same show twice speaks for the band's genuineness and translates into a loyal and local fan base. Uh, via their website, it's been a great year for Buffalo Clover. Things are not slowing down at all. They have been nominated for Alt Country Album of the Year by the Independent Music Awards. That's cool. Next week, the band will head to Austin with thousands of other bands to play South by Southwest. As an added bonus, they are featured on the March issue of Relix Magazine's Monthly Sampler. I don't know what Relix Magazine is, but there you go. It features their newest song, Hey Child. 
They have a bunch of music videos. Look them up on YouTube. The band's website's last post, rather hauntingly. After independently releasing Test Your Love, the band returned overseas where they toured Europe in both 2011 and 2013, respectively, including performances on the BBC and festivals in Spain. Out of their inborn wanderlust and the encouragement of friends and fans there, they planned to return in 2014. Dot, dot, dot. They would not. Uh, and we will get into that. But before we leave Buffalo Clover, I just want to say these are real strong records, although while I love them, Margot's songwriting doesn't really become the powerhouse that it is until she leaves them. Mm. I think her approach as a solo artist in the end is stronger. Although I love Buffalo Clover independently of that stuff, I wish I had known about them sooner because I would have been a fan of those for a long time. This is Margo reflecting on the band via Charlie Rose interview. I was 20 years old. I definitely had that ambition, but from what I saw and the direction that country music had went, I didn't feel like there was a place for me to coexist with that kind of music because it was so glossy and because the image was always this kind of certain prototype that I had to come see. Charlie asks, you couldn't see yourself as that? Margo says, no. I don't think I physically fit the mold. So, you know, I kind of went more the folk direction for a while, and I always wanted to write songs that had substance. So I very much loved Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and really gravitated towards that. And the kinks. I got very interested in the kinks for a while and started playing rock and roll. Hey, Jin. And did hey, that Jin. For co- you know the kinks? The kinks? <laughs> what? What is, what is? Deep, delightful cut. And did that for quite some time. I had a soul band that had like three backup singers and a horn section. And before I knew it, I was singing over, you know, 14 people and kind of wondered if it had gotten to be too much. Yeah, it had did. This Joe, I, I had this Joe Cocker thing going on. <laughs> what would you do if I sang at a sang. Back to Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> um also, via Charlie Rose, Mar- Margot details her style a little bit more. She says, uh, I try to, you know, keep true to tradition, but I would like to think that I'm not just spinning the same wheel, you know? Obviously, like classic country music, but I like soul and funk and blues and rock and roll. I try and bring all that in and make it my own. Charlie asks, are you as strong on melody as you are on lyrics? Margot says, I definitely think that a strong sense of melody is important, which, by the way, you get a lot of on those Buffalo Clover records. When I set out to write this album, referring to her solo record, I had kind of given up on trying to write pop songs or rock and roll songs or whatever I had been doing on those last four albums. I wasn't worried about if the hook was good enough or if it was melodically catchy enough. I just wanted the lyrical content to be there, and I think I achieved some of that. So, James, that brings us to the breakup of Buffalo Clover. The specifics of the breakup are often described as the group simply running its course, though there was very clearly some turmoil involved here. Margot's talking about the breakup via The Guardian. At the same time, I was breaking up with my old band, and we had been together for four years, too. She says, I broke up with all these boyfriends and girlfriends in the band, and it sort of became a metaphor for the band ending. Mm. So later when we get to it, that's partly what Four Years of Chances is about. It's not about her breaking up with a man. It's about her breaking up with Buffalo Clover. Uh, This chapter in her biography would be entitled Buffalo Clover with the over in Clover bolted. (laughs) Ayo! This enters a really dark period for Marco, James. 
at this point where Buffalo Clover breaks up to the point where her album is released gets really dicey for her personally. So I'm going to touch on some of that here. This is via Rolling Stone. After her former manager basically attempted to drug her, and we'll get into this when we talk about the song she wrote about it, This Town Gets Around, Mm -hmm. Um, Price and her husband sold their possessions for $3,000 and they drove west breaking up with Buffalo Clover and playing bars along the way. In Colorado, they lived on a campground and busked during the day to make enough money for dinner. Via Charlie Rose. I had a very bad experience with an older gentleman who had a studio and wanted me to write some demos for him. In some accounts, she refers to him like that. In some accounts, she refers to him as a manager. I don't know which is which. She goes on. For more of the pop country world, and we spoke a little bit But then at one point, I was doing some writing out there with him and another guy, and I went to the restroom. And I came out, and I was having a glass of sangria, and I began not to feel well. And I asked them if they put anything in my drink, and they said, don't worry, we just put vodka in there because we thought you weren't having enough fun. Oof. And that immediately put off a light in my head, you know? My mother's words were, get out of there. It was before technology was quite so savvy, I just had a little flip phone. It was dying. Luckily, I got out of there unharmed. Yikes. Yeah, this is via Encore Pub. After becoming disenchanted with the Music City, Price and Ivy traded most of their belongings to beat around in a 1986 Winnebago, even posting up along North Carolina's shores for a time. They fell in love with Wilmington. Quote, my husband and I would go and camp on those little islands along the beach, she remembers. So this is not the worst thing that happens to them. And obviously this is of a very personal nature, so I'm just going to speak very briefly about it. But in 2010, two weeks after he was born, her son Ezra died of a rare heart condition. Oh, man. Um, he was one of a pair of kids, and it really was a an event that had a great impact on Marco. Soon I settled down with a married man Via Rolling Stone. His death kicked off a long, painful, self-destructive period. Quote, That took me out of the game for a while, says Price. There were times I was feeling so terrible. All I wanted to do was drink to forget. Price went into a tailspin. Quote, I denounced God, she says, her eyes clouding up. Quote, I was so angry. Why would anyone do this to a person? She drank and self-medicated and considered checking into a mental institution. During one night of hard drinking, a cab failed to show up and Price got behind the wheel of her car. She was pulled over and spent a weekend in jail. She recounts that in uh, the song Weekender on her album. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I I did hear her talk about this incident live when I saw her. She did like a little bit of introduction to the song. and She talks about it a little bit on the, the Vault LP too, I believe. Yes, she does, yeah. But it's a slightly different story in the Vault LP. It, it just it varies from thing to thing. Margot would eventually sober up and use that as fuel to begin what would become the solo career that would propel her to stardom. So it does have a happy ending, although those are some pretty dark times. Yeah. She started with religion via the Independent. Quote, 
I've been very questioning about my spirituality, and I went to sweat lodges with Dakota Indians and tried all sorts of different religions. I got into Buddhism and read all kinds of different books, and I really did pray. But he just didn't answer my prayers, so I felt so cheated. Sometimes you find your strongest faith in the darkest corners. She trails off with tears forming. Quote, Everybody goes through something terrible if you live long enough. I think it's okay to talk about grief and sorrow, especially for women, when you lose a child or have a miscarriage. It's good to talk about it as a lot of people don't want to speak about those things. It makes people sad, but sometimes you've got to. Price entered therapy and, quote, started behaving herself and wrote nonstop via Encore Pub. Price and Ivy eventually heard the call back to Nashville. Upon their return, Price made a list of every venue, dive bar, and stage she was determined to play. I just wasn't going to let this city beat me, she asserts. As she checked off her list, the singer became known throughout the honky-tonk scene for her flair and realness. Price now jokingly refers to herself as a, quote, 14-year overnight sensation. Her tenacity had a snowball effect. (laughs) Via Charlie Rose. I realized that I had a son at home. He's the most important thing in my life and I knew I needed to get it together. So I went and I got therapy and it took a long time to get clear headed. Kind of the turning point was a writer from Rolling Stone came and saw me in a very tiny dive bar in Nashville. That was the first glimmer of hope. They said, where's your album? We want to review it. I said, I don't have one. I'm trying to make (laughs) one. I'm trying to scrounge up the money. At that point, I started writing all these producers and all these labels and sent my demos and said, I'm going to make a great country record. Please give me an advance. But I didn't hear any responses. So I sold the car and did it anyway. She recorded Midwest Farmer's Daughter under these circumstances. This is the the phoenix that rose from those ashes. She recorded it at the original Sun Studio in Memphis (laughs) at night because the place was packed with tour groups during the day. And it was cheaper to do it at night via Encore Pub. Before connecting with Third Man Records, Price credits her traction lawyer, Kent Marcus, who pushed her music out to anyone who would listen. He believed in me before anyone did, Price states. He was a big part of my success. My booking agent, Paradigm, opened up so many opportunities. My management at Monotone started working for me, and they weren't worried about taking commission until I was actually on my feet. It's been nice to meet honest people. Via the Village Voice, the couple didn't have the funds to hire a publicist or management, so it was up to Price to get herself out there to try and scrounge up a record deal. Anything. Quote, I was not a business savvy person, she says. You have to find keys to unlock whatever door is in front of you, and we hit a whole lot of locked doors. Along the way, they ran into managers making false promises and strange folks putting a halt to dreams, but Price didn't let any of this keep her down. Quote, I wouldn't trade any of that because as I look back on it, it was all fodder for songwriting. Hmm. Uh, so this is cool. Quote, Margot Price doesn't understand the words, no, you can't says friend and frequent karaoke partner Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes, who (laughs) crashed on Price's couch when she was recording Alabama Shakes' first LP. Wow, that's... That's some stuff. That's kind of awesome. Quote, she's a huge inspiration. Via the Village Voice. If it wasn't for Alabama Shakes' Brittany Howard, Margot Price's debut album probably wouldn't even be coming out. Price and her husband sold Howard their vintage reel-to-reel recording equipment to help pay for studio time. The reel-to-reel, Margot's wedding ring, instruments, and a car all got pawned to finish recording Midwest Farmer's Daughter. So Brittany Howard owns Margot Price's (laughs) reel-to-reel. Wow. Yeah, so James, that finally brings us to meeting Jack White. Hey, Jack, 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 Jack. 
Actually, Jack met Price years earlier in 2007 by happenstance, and this is during her Buffalo Clover days. He was walking down a sidewalk in Berry Hill, and he said, Hello, she recalls, and I sort of blurted out, I saw you at the Ryman last night with Bob Dylan. I'm a singer-songwriter, and I've been covering one more cup of coffee for a long time, too, and you played it last night. <laughs> so... Sounds like me meeting Lily May, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, right. It's exactly <laughs> what I'd probably do. I love you. Uh, she says, I reached into my purse and handed him a CD of my music. I wonder if he remembers that encounter. We talked about that a little bit on the 2016 year in review. Mm-hmm. Via the Village Voice, Third Man Records entered the scene when some friends of friends got through to Price that White had heard and was into some of her stuff. Quote, I hadn't even thought about them as an option, actually, since they only really put out established artists. But they invited me in and actually liked it, and now it's coming out. Margot Price, a fixture of the East Nashville music community, has signed with Jack White's Third Man Records to release her debut album. Titled Midwest Farmer's Daughter, the LP is slated to arrive in March 2016. She picked with the interest of the third man team, and after learning that White himself was a fan, sent him the album she recently recorded at Sun Studios in Memphis. Price tells Rolling Stone Country, I heard through the grapevine that Jack was into what I was doing. I sent him the album I recorded in Memphis, and they really liked it. They were the first people who didn't want to change the album and didn't want to scam me for any money. Via Rolling Stone, last year Price's pedal steel player told her that Jack White was a fan. She was invited to Third Man, where an exec handed her a guitar and asked to record a song straight to acetate. (laughs) Eventually, she met White. Quote, he shook my hand and he said he loved the album and that it was genuine and that it was real and that it was good to hear that back in country music. Apparently... Well, you know, we'll get to that. That story gets a little weirder in a moment. Her going in to, like, have a meeting and then handing her a guitar and saying, Record! (laughs) Seems a little funky. Uh, But I suppose that's Third Man's way. Via Encore Pub, once Third Man did pick up Price, thankfully, she didn't need to change anything about her work or who she was as an artist. She credits Third Man and Jack White for giving her the tools and freedom to release her music on a larger platform. This is where it gets kind of funny. Via the Chicago Tribune, the recording was rejected by every label that Price contacted, but Jack White was interested. At a meeting at Third Man Records, she was handed a guitar and played a song she had recently written about life on the road, Desperate and Depressed. Hey. I'm pissed off at the number The people that I meet Who go to shake my hand With a viper up their sleeve They freeze me out in the winter Burn me up all summer Try to take my money When I'm desperate and depressed Ain't it a White was listening in the next room. He just wanted to make sure I could sing in tune, (laughs) she says with a laugh. And White agreed to put out the label's first country record. Now, I don't know if actually that Desperate and Depressed recording was the one that wound up on the B-side of Hurtin' on the Bottle. She goes on to say, I don't know if I would have given up after that, Price says, but we definitely put all our chips on that record. Via the Irish Examiner. I was all on my own when I met Third Man, she says. They've been great. Helped me find management, booking agents, publicists. Jack is always ready to advise. They let me be myself, but if I have questions, they're on hand. This is via Epiphone. Are you still able to write with the same sense of peace and quiet that you used to have? 
She says, yeah, I continue to write through it all. That was some advice that Jack gave me, even when I'm on the road to continue to write all the time. Just lastly here, in, in, in her connection to Third Man, she says via The Guardian, Third Man liked her analog approach. At the label's downtown store, the female staffer's hair is the same lilac as Pr- Price's album cover, which, given White's obsession over detail, is probably no coincidence. <laughs> now look at here, I want you to dye your hair lilac. And you, the bald man in the corner, I want you to dye your head lilac. It's for Ms. Margot Price. I'll be listening to you dye your hair in the other room. And take this lilac and dye it lilac. <laughs> and while you're at it, take this brown orchid. Turn it blue. <laughs> or is it raw orchid? White orchid. The important thing is, I'll be listening in the other room. <laughs> See, to make sure you dye it in tune. So, James, that brings us to Margot's solo release, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. Her debut record as a solo artist on Third Man Records. It came out on March 25th, 2016. It was recorded in three days. Well, really, the the uh, the time constraints happened out of financial restrictions. So all we really had money for was three days. And, uh, and I did it in Memphis. I was actually passing through on my way to Texas. We were getting ready to come do a tour here. And I uh, stayed in Memphis for the night. And... Went and did the whole tour of Sun, and I was just immediately drawn to the energy there. Um, and uh, I met a really wonderful engineer and uh, producer there. His name is Matt Ross Bang, and he he was just so eager to work with us. And um, kept, he just kept bothering me: "Come back to Memphis. Come back to Memphis. Do your record here. I'll give you a good deal. I know you're broke." <laughs> So we did, and um, he's a great friend of mine, and I'm, I'm so happy that, that we chose to kind of go outside of Nashville and, um, and go there where, you know, Memphis is, is just has a whole different energy. There's a, lot, there's a lot of soul there. It was produced and engineered in the wee hours of the morning by Memphian Matt Ross Sprang and mixed at Ardent Studios. Ardent, you see a common studio that pops up in the mixing of albums. I think Jack even used them a few times. Mm -hmm. Uh, This album was rejected by 30 different record labels. Holy crap. Before Jack said yes. And you have to believe he waited. Of course, Jack would be the 30th. Yeah, you have to to (laughs) believe he waited for 30. He's like, now, while we're all busy dying ourselves lilac, we will approve the album once 30 people reject it. He was all 30. She kept bringing it to... He was just doing like a Leslie Nielsen style, like... (laughs) Secret agent, bad disguise, goof. <laughs> Although number 26 was Carl Butterball. Oh! <laughs> Carl, you, you turned Margo down. Yes, he, her singing was not quite as good as my turkey, Peaches. Oh, Peaches, I've heard she has a wonderful set of, what would you call them, pipes? <laughs> she put a hurting on the gobble. Oh! This is via Rolling Stone. It's a diary of her 12 years of striking out and living hard in Nashville. Quote, I used to write story songs about a couple robbing a bank or whatever, says Price. But I decided I'm going to go ahead and lay it all on the line here. And it felt really good, really therapeutic. I I always used to write these like sad folk songs and murder ballads when I was in my early 20s. And everything was minor key and slow and 
And then I realized I really wanted to make people dance and have a good time, but um, you know, still keep keep it lyrically honest and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works. It Thanks. Works. She <laughs> plays with a group called the Price Tags now, who are her backing band. She said via Charlie Rose, Today I've got a six-piece band, you know, pedal steel and piano and fiddle when I can have it. I'm very happy with my band. They're the same guys who play with me on the record. I didn't get session musicians. I got people who wanted to be a part of the band. And so when we go play live shows, it sounds like the record. And it does. Nice. I had a lovely time at that show. Nice. Some track highlights. I'm just. I'm not going to go through all of them here, but uh, obviously, Hands of Time. This was the single that preceded the album's release. Via Charlie Rose, Margot says that is a six-minute song. Everyone kept trying to make it my single, and I don't know if America has six minutes of attention span. <laughs> Only got 140 characters most of the time to get your point across. But I'm happy that I went ahead and kept it, and Third Man was adamant with me about having it kind of be a kickoff to the album, because I feel like if people can get through that, A, they're going to know who I am and what I've been through, and B, they'll enjoy the rest of the record because it's not as heavy as that song. When asked if she would buy back the farm, (laughs) she says, I'd quote, love to buy back the farm for my parents, but I don't know if they'll have any interest in farming at this point. My father's (laughs) retired after working his whole life in prison, and they're getting older, she admits disappointingly. This is a song about to find out, which is a really good song on this album. I wrote about an acquaintance who is a bit of a sociopath. It's funny how songs change meaning over time. It seemed to be fitting for the privileged and the separation in the classes that we're dealing with today. She co-wrote some of these with her husband, Jivey, by the way. Uh, Like this song, Tennessee Song, uh, via Charlie Rose. Kind of just a song about enjoying the outdoors and also the history of where America used to be and where we are now. Everybody's got all sorts of associations with state names at the point here now. I like to uh, not affiliate this this next state song with a color, maybe just besides the color green. (laughs) about a place that I do love and about the, the beauty of the outdoors. Maybe not the, maybe not the way of thinking. song this town gets around that is the story of when they tried to spike her sangria and um so we already talked about that but just to touch on that via the independent in this world there's more crooked people than honest people and i've been screwed over by men and a couple of women too in the music business a weird thing happens and it's not only in the music business where people exchange sexual favors to advance their career and i've seen people sleep their way to the top And people have tried to proposition me in those ways, too. It felt good to write about it in This Town Gets Around. I was mad about it and wanted to write a song. For a long time, I was very naive and very trusting. I just didn't think anyone would want to do anything to harm me. But I learned through trial and error that that's not the case.
Since You Put Me Down is another great song via Charlie Rose. Since You Put Me Down is a song that I cover it with my husband. He started writing it. Maybe he had a different direction that he was going with, but I definitely used this song to kind of write a scorned love letter to an old manager that did me wrong. So that's again about that old manager and that experience. People might think it's about love. Via The Independent, Price describes herself as an outcast and a stray, but does she still feel that way after a very successful year? Quote, I definitely like The Outsiders. Everyone likes an underdog, and I definitely say I'm different, she maintains. I don't want to call myself a total outcast now. I've been accepted. Well, not completely accepted, but things have been getting better in just this year. It snowballed into a different type of operation than we're used to. <laughs> That's a great line. I love it when she sings that she's an outcast and a stray. Mm. The song Weekender, Price describes sharing a cold cell with a woman who beat up her boyfriend while high on crack cocaine, she says with a laugh. I felt like when I ended up in jail, that was God's answer. Now you're in a loony bin. I've kept it from a lot of my family. I don't know if even my sister knows. They'll know when the album comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly here, the song Four Years of Chances, which is a really heavy kind of... I would say like R&B song uh, with country overtones. It was influenced by two things. Price maintains, of course, by relationships and by the guys who had treated me bad, but also by a conversation I had with a friend of mine when we were both drunk and sitting on the porch. She says, I gave that motherfucker four years of chances. And I thought, that's a great line and I'm going to use it. <laughs> At the same time, I was breaking up with my band Buffalo Clover, and so she—that's when we talked about that earlier. She, so she's singing about that band, the band ending in that as well. <laughs> Via Charlie Rose, I was writing about her relationship and past relationships, but I also kind of wrote a goodbye to my old band, which was called Buffalo Clover, and I was with them for four years and doing the best I could to keep it together. And then when I had to break up with them, it very much felt like a relationship. <laughs> So we'll just talk a little bit about the cover here. Uh, Margot says, this was a film photo that my friend took, and it was on a Lomo film, so that was all green. It was during the summer, and the film turned it purple. It was so cool. I got poison ivy and all sorts of bug bites when I took that photo. <laughs> Really? That's funny. Yeah. Margot appeared on SNL to promote the release and also on Conan O'Brien's show on March 24th, preceding the album's release, which we just saw Lily May do the exact same thing. On October 31st, her Hands of Time video debuted. So, James, we know this one sort of exploded. I'm going to kind of keep the accolades to a minimum here, but what are your thoughts on the album? I love this album a great deal, and I didn't give it a immediate listen until you picked it up and you said, James, you have to listen to this album. <laughs> and I did, and I freaking love it. I think I was on a Karen Elson kick at the time, and this was just like, I think this kicked it up to the next level because I like this a lot more. I rarely find a, a Jack White chosen band as somebody that I would follow and go to their shows all the time. And, and actually, you know, if they move to another label, probably go like listen to them. I find them occasionally. Margot Price would be one of them. If she was to move to another label, I would probably still buy her albums. And I love this one. Uh, Hurtin' on the Bottle is, is definitely, I've, I know I've made at least two puns based on that title alone. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs on this album. And Desperate and Depressed, like you said, that B-side is is excellent. 
and Hands of Time, it's such an earworm to me. It like plays on repeat in my head. Yeah, all the time. That baseline, that doom, 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 doom. Yeah, it's beautiful. And also when she belts out the chorus, the crew. Yeah, it just plays and plays and plays in my head. So this this album really affected me in a way I didn't expect. Yeah, and I I do really enjoy it. I took a risk on it when I picked it up. I had heard it was coming out. I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to listen to this country act because I'm not a country guy. But I was at Amoeba and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna pick it up. So I did. And on my way home, I was playing it and I was just blown away. I couldn't believe how good it sounded. A couple of days later, I was driving up to go to San Francisco to see our mom. And I spent a lot of that ride listening to this album over and over again, and it just never faded. It's just, it's a beautiful record. I mean, I was going to go into some of these accolades it got, but you know what? It really doesn't matter because we're giving it an endorsement, damn it. And it's a fucking great album. If you guys haven't heard it, and you're still listening to this, wondering what it's about, go go pick it up. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. She won an Americana Music Association Award for Emerging Artist of the Year for this album, which is really cool. Actually, Third Man Records surprised her with the announcement by inviting her to Third Man Records. The story is kind of funny. This is via the newspaper, The Tennessee, and friends of Nashville country singer Margot Price gathered at Third Man Records on Tuesday night to surprise the indie artist with some very big news. Price had won the 2017 American Music Prize for Best Debut Album. The $25,000 award winner is selected by a panel of music industry and media professionals. The songsmith was clearly shocked as she opened the door to Third Man's Blue Room concert venue and a few dozen friends, bandmates, and colleagues, including Jack White, yelled surprise. (laughs) She said, you guys are so sneaky. I have never been surprised before, except when I was pregnant. That was a surprise. I'm really speechless right now. I wasn't expecting all this. And that's what makes it sweet. Price was told she was going to Third Man for a, quote, business meeting. I kept asking, am I in trouble? (laughs) Do you think I did something wrong? My husband's like, no, it's fine. We're going to get a nice dinner. He even told me to change my dress, that it wasn't nice enough. (laughs) So that's really sweet. James, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what's next for Margo to close it out here. Margo played alongside Jack on Prairie Home Companion, performing mm-hmm. a duet with him on the Get Behind Me Satan track, I'm Lonely, But I Ain't That Lonely Yet. Let's listen to great. a little bit of that because she does a great job so, on this. What do you got next for us? Um, we thought we'd bring a friend from Nashville with us, Miss Margo Price, to come sing a song.
also profiled on the Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown show at the same time he was visiting Jack and the Kills. Margot also participated in the Luck Mansion sessions, which are only now just starting to come out via singles on Third Man. So I guess mm-hmm. we'll get one of those. I don't know if some of those were the direct acetate stuff. I have no idea. But Well, uh, they released them for, was it South by Southwest? It was for something, and it was called the, like, the Luck Reunion Tour, and they released a whole mess of singles, and they're really expensive now, and I can't get my hands on any of them. Yeah, but I don't think Margot was one of them. I looked, actually, for Margot and Lily, and I couldn't find them. Maybe they were. Callie, tell me I'm wrong. I'll leave you with this. Uh, a couple final thoughts from Margot via the independent UK. Something's finally gone right in my life, as for so long I felt like I was a cursed bad luck person. It certainly has, the, the site says, and Price seems to be in a good place. She's drinking in moderation. Quote, I don't drink that often anymore. I like to smoke weed more. She's content in her marriage. She said, quote, I'd say the only person who really knows me is my husband. And after our chat, Price wowed a hugely appreciative audience with a set that includes peerless covers of Jolene and Mercedes Benz to celebrate Dolly Parton and Janis Joplin's birthdays on that day. Nice. It won't be too long before she's buying back the farm for her dad and bringing crate loads of wine for her mom. One thing she's already reclaimed is her wedding ring, which her husband chivalrously bought back from the pawnbrokers. He clearly knows when he's got a good thing. That's very sweet. <laughs> nice. Uh, Charlie Rose, I still feel very inspired. I'm dying to get back in the studio. We're going to go in there in December, and I'm full of songs. And that leads us to her new album coming out soon, as yet to be titled, as yet to have a release date. But this spring, she was interviewed by Encore Pub, and Price finished recording her sophomore album and is in the process of mixing it. The artwork for the cover isn't finished, nor is the order of the track listing, amongst other final touches. Still, with an actual budget and a label, it's been a lot less stressful so far. So I think that's implying it's going to come out on Third Man. I hope so. It's been a lot less stressful so far. Plus, she didn't have to sell a car. It's nice to be able to take time and not feel like we have to rush to get this out, she adds. While it's rooted in country sounds, different textures and genres will make it onto the follow-up record. I'm dying to release it, she says. There's a little bit of everything, but it all still fits together really nicely. It's nothing abrasive. I definitely still made a country record, but we recorded quite a few songs, so there's a lot to work with. This is via Epiphone. Oh yeah, we just started working on the second album. It's been great being back in Memphis at Sam Phillips recording. They've been fixing it up and refurbishing it. It's just amazing. Great energy. They've kept a lot of the original wallpaper and original vibe of the place. It's wonderful. The first time I came here was a bit disheveled, so it's great to come back and really see it come together. And uh, she's working with the same producer and executive on this album. Hmm. And James... That's Margot Price. That was great. That was super interesting. So we're going to kick it to our uh, third woman for this week. James, what do you say? Yeah, let's kick it to a third woman. Welcome back to our third woman, Kate McCoy. Kate, you're back. Hello. Hello. Good to see you guys. Good. It's been two weeks since last we spoke with you. How are you in that time? Doing well. Doing well. How about you guys? I've yes. lost... I've lost an eye at this point. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I've had a better. I've had better months and weeks. <laughs> uh, we'll get into the intricacies of that fiction later <laughs> on. I'm sure. I'm dying to know how you lost that eye, James. Uh, but uh, Kate, we're back here. We're talking about Margot Price and a little Facebook Messenger birdie told me that you've seen Buffalo Clover. Yes. And um, so I want to know just all about that. When did you see them? How did they pop up on your radar? Give us the download here. 
So I know that Margot was living in Nashville for a really long time, making music, performing. I was and still am a big fan of an artist named Caitlin Rose, who is kind of a, I don't want to pigeonhole her and say, oh, she's, I would call her music kind of like Americana. But I know that sometimes people don't like it if you box them in. I'm going now. She's very versatile. Um, so I was seeing a lot of Caitlin Rose, and she was performing a lot in town. And I actually just happened to be at the Five Spot one night, and Buffalo Clover was there singing. And so that wow. band, Buffalo Clover, had Margot and her husband. Everybody calls him Jivey, I think. Um, because <laughs> I, but um, And then it's interesting because, you know, Margot, her husband, and their drummer from Buffalo Clover are all still a part of, like, Mar- Margot Price. Yeah, and and right. the band that, that makes up Margot Price. So it was interesting because Margot is really, I think, considered, you know, not from Nashville, but really considered like a Nashville treasure. She is lovely and amazing. You know, we talked about you you meeting Lily Mae and, and how lovely she is. But Margot is, is probably the exactly the same way. Just this real kind, like humble, right. but smart and kind of like sure. quick and, and a little bit like quickly funny like mm-hmm. you can tell she's not going to put up with a lot like if, you know just interaction so I think that I probably saw them like maybe in like the first time like restaurant that opened out like more towards where like more towards the west side of town which is easier for me to get to called the stone fox Mm -hmm. um and i think every like she played there quite frequently as well i don't know if her friends owned it or if that was just a good venue for them to play so she was there as the buffalo clover and then at some point it shifted to like margo price and the price tag so there was a little bit of kind of like blurred like i don't know when the transition happened but it you know, at some point it happened, and I think the the big difference was there was another married couple in Buffalo Clover, taught maybe bass or guitar and and keys, or yeah. they, it, it so they like, were a piece of it. But um, so sure. they kind of left, and and then the the band became, I think, really kind of what it is now. So uh, the guitarist, her husband Jer- Jeremy Ivy, bassist Matt Gardner, and there's another bassist Jason White. Matt switched to guitar. And then the drummer's name was Dylan Napier. Yeah, so Dylan's still their drummer. Right, yeah. And Amaya Aguirre? 
A-M-A-I-A. I don't, have no idea how to pronounce that. She's from Spain, and she's probably awesome. So uh, clearly somebody paired off from there. Yeah. But it's just, it's just interesting because I sort of feel like it was, you know, just a very natural evolution, but also just really cool. You know, Buffalo Clover was a great band. And I think that, and, and again, they were playing at small venues. But if people knew that they were playing, you would go. Like, I remember being in my car one day at work and I was in Spring Hill, which is about an hour or, you know, 45 minutes-ish outside of Nashville, South Nashville. And I heard, you know, just on the radio station, they were like, oh, don't forget, come out to see Buffalo Clover. They're playing tonight. And I was like, oh, you know, we've got to go. And this next song's called Guilt. had heard that maybe Ben Swank was the one who kind of saw Margot and really thought she had, you know, like just great potential and this was somebody worth looking into for third man, which would make sense because I think she played, she lives in East Nashville, which is, I'm sure is where Ben Swank also lives, but I'm just guessing, but that's, that's honestly my guess. I'll, I'll go over there when we visit Nashville and I'll shout Swank's name, uh, in, yeah, in our just, jack just voice. walk around and yeah like, just scream ben swank because that'll work that'll, it's not that big hey yo swank you here <laughs> and then i'll get some rocks thrown at me from passersby i don't know exactly how she got discovered by third man but it just seemed you know she was the right person to pick she's very dynamic on stage you know and and always and just has like that kind of natural interaction with the crowd like you know like i I haven't seen her perform a really big show. I've only seen her at small shows. But I feel like she just has that good stage presence. Whatever that it is, she has it. She's. Uh, I had the pleasure of seeing her last uh, November and, and with the price tags. And she was just absolutely uh, lovely. Um, an infectious smile when she smiles at the... Well, a lot like Lily, actually. But really infectious smile when she smiles and she looks like she's having fun. She, she like, dances a little bit on stage. Yeah. It feels like a party, mm. you know? And it doesn't hurt that she's singing about sort of party-ish sort of yeah. stuff. And then suddenly switches gears into, like, really heavy stuff, but but treats it with, um, with grace. And her songwriting uh, is uh, is so on point that it really it allows you to to feel the kind of feeling she's hoping to evoke, like hope and and even even the occasional despair. So I'm just I'm a big fan of hers. One really cool thing that I think Nashville has done. I mean, like we have a whole music industry here that's kind of dedicated to country music. And, you know, Margot, I think, really has sort of been snubbed by that industry, uh, you know, a little like she hasn't been a really nominated for a lot of awards that I think everybody who really appreciates music thinks that she should have been but like very recently the um, 
it's the current events exhibit at the Country Music Hall of Fame. They painted a mural of like Tammy Wynette, Margot, Chris Stapleton. Oh, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, yes. and, and Buck Owens. Yes, so, and a lot of people took pictures of that, but Margot is very prominently featured. Like, she's probably mm-hmm. the person that you notice first. And I just thought that that was really cool that people, even if the in, the industry or whatever is, is kind of snubbing her, that, you know, I think that Nashville recognizes, and I think people who love music recognize. Yeah, she's she's hitting a, a country scene at the wrong time because currently the, the main country that most of the United States at large gets is the the very processed country the 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 craft singles of country of being on a truck with beer and then there being some sort of well yeah there's there's guns involved there's a whole (laughs) mishmash of stuff of like cliches that that seem to be in the country like a lot lot of tight jeans I feel like tight jeans are a part of it yes and I don't I don't want to say the term bro country because I know a lot of people take offense to that uh but it there is definitely a genre um that is being pumped to the mass audience and I think Margot is not tapping into that kind of vein the way yeah. these other these these mass marketed uh, guys are not to take anything away from them i'm not bad mouthing them or what but yeah i mean it reminds me of how people treated the family or rose album from loretta lynn when that came out where rock fans were sort of peripherally aware of it because of the jack connection but rock fans weren't necessarily inclined to go out and buy a Loretta Lynn record. Right. And country fans were sort of snubbing it because, oh, well, you're just... I mean, appropriating is definitely not the right word, but almost like, that's our music. You can't have that can't have rock it. crowd. So, like, nobody... It, it found no common ground uh, except amongst, like, MOR, you know, uh, adult contemporary style listeners. And so I worry I worry about that with Margot, but I think her songwriting's so on point and um, yes. and her charisma's so on point that I think she could push through it. Uh, we'll we'll see what that next album holds, you know. I really am looking forward to that next album too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I followed along on Instagram when they were recording it and I was just like, "Oh, you know, like it's this is it's just <laughs> exciting to to mm-hmm. think about um because the first album was really just kind of mind-blowing and it's interesting too because some of the songs like American Made which I think is just such a an awesome song perform that with buffalo you know i think that even that was happening in the buffalo clover days like she just yes because that one's not on her album uh it must have been a b-side from buffalo clover the only time i ever heard american made was when she played it live so it's got to be some kind of b-side or something Uh, i I i have a feeling of like desperate and depressed style yeah 
which is one of my favorite songs of hers. It's the B-side of Hurtin' on a Bottle, and, and incidentally, Hurtin' on a Bottle, album, uh, the 45 artwork for that is the artwork they used for that mural you were describing. Oh, yeah, um, nice. They, they, they used that artwork, but uh, Desperate and Depressed is so good. She plays that one live, too, and she speeds it up and gives it a little funk on it, and it's actually, it gives it a whole new weird life to it. should go out and listen to both versions because they're awesome. Mm. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Now here's here's a question that it's it's going to take into a, a different tangent real quick. Me and Paul have been discussing a, a possible idol of, of Margot Price's. I don't know how familiar you are with, with Ringo Starr's 70s albums. <laughs> but uh, Buffalo Clover seems to have a very Ringo- esque kind of sound to it. So Margot Price, Ringo fan or not? Uh, <laughs> all right, hold on. <laughs> let me let me try and give some context here. Um, uh, so in the early 70s, R- Ringo was produced by this producer named Richard Perry and it gave his sound, Ringo's a country music fan and it gave his sound a lot of country flavor but also with a lot of pop in it so we can't tell if it's just complete coincidence that her songs sound exactly like early 70s Ringo Starr produced by Richard Perry or if she's actually listening to that
I think we're in a beetle bubble that we can't pierce through. So I have a feeling she's probably never heard of it. But it does sound like remarkably similar. And since James mentioned it, I am going to play a little back and forth right here. Kate, you definitely heard that. <laughs> After hearing that, what do you think? It could be What's total your verdict? Bullshit. I think, I honestly think you might be onto something. Because one, we know that Margot is an is a drummer, is a skilled drummer. You know, like we've certainly okay. seen like pictures of her like on Instagram or whatever, just kind of sitting at the drums casually. But like she has actually jumped in and played drums on stage for other for other people. She is a, she, you know, is I would I guess a multi instrumentalist. And I just think that anybody who is playing drums or learning drums, Ringo is going to be one of the first people that you encounter, you know, like I just like whether you <laughs> yeah. like the Beatles or you don't like the Beatles, what you know, a lot of times people really give Ringo a hard time in terms of drumming. I think that he's, you know, the greatest, you know, really one of the greatest drummers in the world. I like Ringo used to have in the, in the Beatles, they'd have a really tiny kit so that the crowd could see him, all the screaming girls could see Ringo. So, you know, I mean, he just has it. So I would not, I would just, I don't know, like I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think that's such a far leap. I don't think that's such a big leap, you know? Like, I think that, okay. you know, I think she totally could have heard that. And I think that that would be kind of natural. Ironically, I feel like I'm not familiar with his his kind of solo stuff. And I'm definitely going to check that out now. Yeah, I apologize for throwing you in the middle of, of my, <laughs> no. my Ringo conspiracy theory. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. I think that's great. I like. I also like that you guys are kind of trapped in a beetle bubble. That <laughs> I know. <laughs> Get me out. We're gonna send we're we're gonna send some strongly worded tweets to Margot's Twitter, and we're gonna get to the bottom of this and get a restraining order, and it's gonna be great. We touched on this a little bit. You talked about the respect Margot's getting in Nashville. What is the kind of musical temperature there? We think of Jack White, and we think of Margot Price, and we think of Lily May, and we think about these kinds of acts in Nashville. But we don't live there. We don't know what the blue collar guy on the street girl on the street is listening to uh, what is the musical temperature there if you had to put a pin in it i think that it's such a fun time to like be in nashville right now just because you know like you know it's always sort of been like music city but really known for country music but there are just so many other amazing artists that are writing and singing and just kind of redefining a genre um i follow a she's the manager of um a band her name is Mary Spar and i think she's on like social media as young mary's record she has had some affiliation with jack white in the past but like you definitely she lives in kentucky but um is just really kind of a good authoritative source on country music and what has come before what has stayed true to country music and in like kind of the direction of where it's going but i just think that um but i think there's room for everything you know when when people come to town and they ask me like where can we go see some good country music you will say oh you know any you go downtown or, or hit up the honky tonks but there's room for everything i think there's so many new venues there's rock and roll there's you know americana but i just think it's such an exciting time you know we have jason isbell here he's just such a prolific singer songwriter and what he's doing is so exciting always jack white and that third man family yeah. i feel like bluegrass is starting to kind of come in in a new and different way that okay. I grew I grew up in a really small town that was just all about like our big the big thing that my town had was a bluegrass festival. 
So I grew up listening to bluegrass, not by choice, but um, because you just really didn't have an alternative during that time of the year. But it was but it was really a blessing because, you know, now I've, I like bluegrass and I enjoy it. But I just think that it's just neat to kind of see all of the stuff that's available. But I would say by far, like I feel like more and more people are kind of not distancing themselves. And I don't want to use the term bro country either, but I... I just sort of feel like people be like, oh, and it's Florida Georgia line. And we all kind of do like a collective eye roll. And we're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, let's keep it moving. Yeah. And and again, right. that's that's not to be disrespectful to them. I think that people are just, you know, and, and, you know, everybody should like what they like and enjoy what they like. You know, that's the beautiful thing about music. I just think it's I don't know. It's just so interesting to see because there's so much going on here. The freaking weekend, which really kind of celebrates more kind of like a punk, like an indis- like an independent punk spirit. They had a fest, you know. They have a festival every year. I think this was their last one at the back at the beginning of March. You know, there's just there are all these different bands playing all these different kind of music, and and there are people at every show. Like I'm never at shows, even in little tiny places. You're just never at shows anymore where there's where there's nobody there or where you're seeing bad music. I mean, everybody I see, I'm like, why don't they have a record deal? Just everybody's talented. And it's kind of nice that there's going to be room or or that there can be room for it all. So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's an interesting time. It sounds like a musical mecca uh, that where we not bound to where we are through circumstance, we would love to be a part of, Mm. but we're happy to be able to talk to you and you are very much a part of it. And uh, we want to thank you again for joining us uh, on the show. It's been so great having you, Kate. Kate. Yeah. Anytime. Always, always fun for me too. Thank you. Also the insight to the, to the weather the other week. I just want to say real quick. Thank you. Uh, We appreciate it. (laughs) I heard, yeah, I heard the shout out. They were like, Kate, what's it, what's the national winter like? And like, it's it's not, it's not bad. No complaints here, but very good. Thank you so much, Kate. Yeah. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you next time and back to the show. Okay. James, you ready to power through this ending? Let's do it. Paul, that was great. And you can't put a price ah! on that episode. Ah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> there's some people that we'd like to give some shout-outs to. There's the new people, the people who are friending and following us on social media sites. People like Anne Frattini, Alex Luz, Jonah Whaley. Which is definitely a gag. <laughs> Jonah and the way it's, Mar- it's it's a religious thing, James. Uh, you wouldn't understand it because you're a godless heathen. Margie Amanda Romero, Dan Sampson, Benjamin R. Frank Bollock the <laughs> Third. Oof. <laughs> and then we have the people who are there day in, day out, always there, keeping us on the rails. We got Jeremy Riles. We have our fact checker extraordinaire. We got Kelly Durga. We have the punk rock queen, Adrian King. We have Andre Ice Cold Lie Man. We have Eileen Corsano. We see you there, Eileen. We got David Poe. Poe, Poe, Poe. We got S.A. Franco. I'd love to figure out that name. <laughs> we got Kate McCoy. Who was also our third woman for this week. Right. Thank you so much, Kate. We got to come up with a good nickname for you. Um, How about Dr. McCoy? She's not She's not Coy, Kate McCoy. No, uh, How about Bones? <laughs> How about it? Damn it, Jim. What the hell is the matter with you? <laughs> How about the Beast? Beast Bones. 
That's an X-Men character named Hank McCoy. We're not calling you a beast. We'll just edit that out. Um, how about no, no. Bones? We got the beast, Kate McCoy, and we got the heart of the operation, Amy Hart. Oh, I love that. Oh, James. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us uh, on social media, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen. We are on Twitter at, at thirdmencast. We are on Tumblr at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can go to our website, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You can send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Spreaker, where we host the show. That is iHeartRadio's podcatcher. Just go to Spreaker.com and search The Third Man. We're also available on Acast and all kinds of other podcatchers, iTunes, etc. If you have any listener questions, please send those over. We got a couple from you guys. We're going to do another listener questions episode soon, so let us know what's up. And we'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help and recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. That's correct. And we still have the contest going. I have a couple new items in mind. I'm going to be discussing them with Paul, so keep your eyes peeled. Um, yes. But we we also got a couple new reviews in on iTunes, which is what the contest is all about. So go... Get over to iTunes, review it. Once we get up to 20 reviews, you will get both a Loretta Lynn DVD and a special other prize. Yeah, basically what you do is you review the thing, you take a screenshot of it, send it to us via email. Once we hit 20 reviews, we'll pick one of those people at random to win the Loretta Lynn DVD and a special prize. There you go. And, uh, and Paul, I think that's going to do it, right? I would. Uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, if you're a quitter. We'd also like to give a quick name correction. We pronounced Rain Prosper's name as many things last week. It is Rain, so let's hit it with that red, red rain, Paul. Yeah, hitting it with that red, red rain. And then I would like to leave us on a fun fact about Margot Price. She has a tattoo of the words Gypsy Wanderer of the World emblazoned on her left foot. Wow, that's fantastic. And a buffalo on her left thigh. <laughs> I will be looking for a home, James. <laughs> And Paul, I'll be looking for a home uh, in the in the wildflowers and clover. Buffalo clover, <laughs> dreadlock rasta, fighting on arrival, fighting for survival. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Just don't put any cauliflower in it. Um, I did that one time, and the entire apartment smelled like feet for three days. It was gross. (laughs) Okay. No cauliflower. All right. Hey, did you give any thought to what your next episode's going to be? Yeah, I was going to do Van Leer Rose.
Ooh, that's a Mother's Day, amore. I just want to do something like C6 Steve and then have mom. <laughs> So, uh, we're going to get to this meat episode. Jack's <laughs> <laughs> favorite brands of meat. I would love to talk about steaks. Uh, I that was great. Very much. I was, oh, God, oh, that's your balls. Oh, I put my hand on his dick. This is, this is another cool one. She worked in construction, installing and removing residential siding. Great. Uh, funnel, funnily enough, she also had to wear a Catholic schoolgirl outfit for that one. Um, so much, that much like uncomfortable in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't good for anybody, really. Um, uh, although it was nice and breezy, at least on those hot Tennessee days. Uh I sent a text to a coworker at one I can buy it now. three last night yes. in the morning. Yeah. Uh-huh. That just said place. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, it's first of all, it's lucky I wasn't asleep, and second of all, it's not even the right time. That went, it's always the right time. <laughs> and oh shit. I have to make a decision, James. Yeah. Is it eight ninety nine? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's considerably more than that. Oh. <laughs> it is a, a an auction that ends in five minutes. Yeah. And the current bid is for the Jack White Battle Cry Gold release. Ooh. I would have to pay seventy nine dollars. This. I, anyway, yeah, I asked Princeton Record Exchange. I called up the night before. I'm like, "Yeah, Battle Cry." And they're like, "Can you spell that?" I'm like, yes. <laughs> "They did not." James, I love this album. Written, written about an acquaintance. Uh, the song is titled "Dye Your Hair Lilac." I'll be uh, parentheses. I'll be in the next room. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of a sociopath. We're also available on Acast and all kinds of other... I would love to... I would love to oh, we'd also like to give... Oh, oh I just farted. Oh, I put my hand on his... D-